Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Alarmy, get out your planners and mark your calendars because the Alarmist Live is happening Friday, August 28th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We'll be deciding who's to blame for prohibition with special guest Matt Gorley. Pour some moonshine and get ready to blame from the comfort of your own home. The link to reserve your spot is in our show notes. We hope to see you there, Alarmy. An Erios original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing one of our most requested episode topics, uh, especially by our Canadian listeners. Today we're covering the Halifax disaster. Here's what you need to know. 
As World War I raged in Europe, Halifax emerged as Canada's major Atlantic port for ships carrying troops, relief supplies, and munitions overseas. On the cold morning of December 6, 1917, two ships found themselves at an impasse. The French SS Montblanc was headed into the harbor, under the command of Captain Aimé Lemedic. It was carrying cargo it had picked up in Brooklyn and was en route to meet a convoy in Europe. At the same time, the SS Emo, a Norwegian freighter commanded by Captain Hakun Fromm, was making its way out of the harbor to pick up supplies in New York before heading off to Belgium. Both ships had experienced harbor pilots who boarded the ships to help navigate them in and out of the basin. But there was traffic in the narrows of Halifax Harbor. The Emo had just steered around a tugboat, an American naval vessel, putting it straight in the Mont Blanc's path. As the half-mile gap closed, the pilot on the Mont Blanc signaled to the Emo that he had the right-of-way. But the Emo signaled back that he wouldn't yield. Both skippers shut off their engines and did what they could to stop what looked like an imminent collision. The captain of the Emo threw his engines into reverse in a last-minute attempt to avoid the Mont Blanc. His bow swung, clipping the forward hold of the Mont Blanc at a slow speed. From the looks of it, it was only a maritime fender bender. But inside the SS Mont Blanc were the makings for one of history's most catastrophic, man-made explosions of the pre-atomic age. The Emo had unknowingly collided with a 3,000-ton floating bomb. The Mont Blanc held 2,300 tons of picric acid, 225 tons of TNT, and 10 tons of gun cotton. The upper decks had barrels full of high-octane benzol. It was customary for ships carrying that kind of cargo to give a visual indication of their highly explosive content, but the Mont Blanc displayed no special markings. Almost no one knew what hid in its compartments aside from a few port officers and the ship's crew. The Mont Blanc began to smoke as the barrels of benzol burst and started to burn. Its crew boarded lifeboats and made a run for it. Once they got to shore, they continued running inland, trying to shout warnings at the rubberneckers who had gathered to see the collision. At the time, few people spoke French in Halifax, and the crew's pleas did not register with the locals, or they simply didn't hear them. For about 20 minutes, the crowds watched as the ship was smoking. Firefighters ran to the harbor to help put out the fire. At 9.04 a.m., the Mont Blanc exploded. The ship was vaporized instantly, and the surrounding blocks, including a densely packed industrial area called Richmond, were leveled to the ground. The harbor floor was momentarily exposed after the blast, followed by a tsunami, a 10-meter-high wall of water that washed violently over the Halifax and Dartmouth shores. Soon after, hundreds of structural fires caused by buildings collapsing inward on lanterns, stoves, and furnaces burned the area. 
1,600 people died instantly. But the death toll would quickly rise as the fires led to the burning of those trapped inside. Up to 9,000 people were injured, with some of the wounded later dying, many from bacterial infections, as these were pre-antibiotic times. Thousands of residents were left homeless just in time for the freezing Nova Scotia winter to come through. Ironically, the entire crew of the Mont Blanc, except for one sailor, survived. Those on the Emo were not as lucky. Following the collision, the captain had ordered the crew to abandon ship, but not everyone made it out in time. The bridge crew of the Emo was killed, including the captain, the ship's pilot, and the first officer. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats When the accident occurred, the ships were traveling at just under 2 miles per hour. The explosion devastated the busy port city of Richmond, leveling more than a square mile of the waterfront. The shockwave was felt as far as 129 miles. The blast killed more than 2,000 people and injured 9,000 more. Of the dead, 500 of them were children. It is believed that the death toll was much higher than the official count. The tsunami washed away dead bodies that were never found. Another factor was that there were people living in the city that were not in the city's records. Tens of thousands of windows were blown inward, the shards injuring those who were looking onto the accident. 37 people were blinded entirely. More than 250 people lost an eye. It is estimated that 25,000 people were left homeless. In 1917, the population of Halifax was around 65,000. Over one-third of the population was directly affected. More than 1,600 houses were instantly destroyed. 12,000 more were damaged. The very next day, a blizzard hit Halifax, slowing down rescue efforts significantly. Halifax became the standard of blast comparisons for decades, unsurpassed as an explosive disaster until Hiroshima replaced it in 1945. Over a hundred years later, the hands on the town hall tower clock remain broken forever at 9.05. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Filling in for Chris is fact checker Clayton Early. Hello, here I am. <laughs> and our very special guest is Sophie Buttle. Hi, Sophie. Hi, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Sophie is a stand-up comedian, and you can check out our latest comedy album, A Little Bit of Buttle, on, I guess, Apple Music or yeah, it's the everywhere. general internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sophie, now we, we like to start kind of asking our guests, you know, what is something that alarms you or what is something that causes you like intense anxiety <laughs> oh okay interesting um, okay so here's the thing so all my friends um you know my mom everyone has like a lot of anxiety like in general right so I've always felt like the chill the chill one and then it's always weird like the things that do stress me out but like 
I have the thing where if I like hear people chewing, I just become very agitated. Mm. And oh. people think that Same. you're just people think that you're just rude, but it's a it's a condition, it's a disease. You gotta just not chew around me. And it's like <laughs> it's like it's also it's particularly my mom's chewing, and like I love my mom so much, but just like the acoustics in her mouth just make me insane. Like I don't know how it's so loud and how she chews for so long. And she'll like, she'll start talking and I can see that she's still chewing. And I'm like, just go outside and finish your chewing. It's fine. <laughs> like, and then the other thing that really stresses me out is facial recognition technology. I agree that we could do a whole episode on uh, facial recognition because that is definitely something to be alarmed about as well as your mother's chewing. Yeah. Yes. I, mean, I could do like two, two hours on that. We could do a two-parter. So we're, we're so glad that, you know, it, it's, what do you call it when, when the universe just brings people together um, because we had been planning this Halifax episode uh, because so many of our Canadian listeners had written in requesting uh, on this particular disaster and we were you know Amanda and I were talking we were like we we wish we should really try and get a Canadian and just then we got an email from Sophie's publicist like randomly <laughs> It was meant to be, Sophie. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. And I actually, I don't know if they passed this along, but I have actually very strong opinions about the Halifax explosion. So this is very exciting. Oh, amazing. Okay, so let's get started. Now, up on the board, I think just to cover all of our bases, I think we need to put the two pilots of the ships. Now, first, the first pilot is William Hayes. So uh, according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, the Emo was departing the harbor on the morning of, of December 6th, 1917, and it had emerged from Bedford Basin and was traveling south during the Narrows, the harbor's tightest navigation section, moving on on the eastern Dartmouth side of the channel instead of the Halifax side of the west, where outgoing vessels, vessels normally traveled. The Emo's path required incoming ships to pass to its right or starboard, starboard side rather than to its left or port side, which was customary. Emo had an experienced local harbor pilot on board. His name was William Hayes, who knew the navigation rules of the harbor. However, earlier encounters that morning with two inbound vessels moving toward the Bedford Basin, both of which Emo had passed uh, on the other side, resulted on an unusual position that the Emo now occupied too far to the east on the wrong side of the Narrows. So I guess the way they, they do this, and, I, and I'm pretty sure they still do this is there's a captain of a ship and then there's a pilot for when you when you get to the the harbor they send on a pilot to help you kind of like maneuver into the port so the, this particular like section or is this like all ports just right oh oh you you mean like the, the, yes i think that happens in a lot of ports uh, ports that are different okay. to navigate maybe i should to. check my yeah because my idea was like there's an area called the Narrows, which is obviously very menacing. I mean, it sounds very menacing for giant ships to be navigating the Narrows. It is called so the it Narrows. Like, it, the the okay. actual area is called the Narrows. Um, so this guy gets on the boat. He is he knows all the rules. There's like strict rules. But for some reason, he allows these two ships to go on the other side. Now, I, I just want to point out that these 
at least one of the boats that forced the emo onto the wrong side was an American naval tugboat. So yet again, I, fucking Americans <laughs> coming up <here>. <laughs> <laughs> So I do think we have to put the at least the American Navy up on the board for just not being on the wrong on the tugboats wrong side. in I mean, general. What are you tugging around? What's so important? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, like, apparently, they they just don't have to listen to navigation rules. They don't apply to them. <laughs> so I think it's the it's the person who was in charge of the ship that had the makings of an atomic bomb on it. Because, like, if you have that just on your person, like, maybe be careful. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. in my segue. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we should talk about this guy on the uh, who maybe should have been ca- more careful. Mm-hmm. This guy is Francis Mackey, and Mackey is the Mont Blanc's pilot. So the Emo is an empty vessel, essentially. It doesn't have anything on it. The Mont Blanc has all of the ex- uh, all of the explosives on it, and Francis gets. He's the pilot who gets on the ship and he knows what's inside the ship. Once he gets on the ship, they're like, oh, hey, buddy, this is what we've got going on under- <laughs> underneath. Those barrels are full of like explosives. <laughs> when he encounters the emo heading straight towards him, he he's like, it's my lane, emo. So emo's on the wrong side of the tracks. And but Mont Blanc's guy is like does the horn g- gives the two uh, toots the two horns. <laughs> I, I clearly toot 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 the customary toot toot. But like kind of he's like toot toot my right away and the emo's like toot no I'm not going anywhere. Ooh and then one the, toot very salty. <laughs> <laughs> that's like getting a text reply that's just like okay period or like it's like oh. it's the ha of toots okay <laughs> so we got to put Mackie up on the board for he he should have known better and and he should have known uh, you know he should have taken into consideration the explosive cargo that was at hand what, what I want to bring up that I think is interesting here is that the ships coming into the port had the right of way, right? Isn't that what you said? Or did we say that somewhere? So, no, it has nothing to do with the, that they had the right of way. It's just that if you're coming into the port, you go on the right side. And if you're leaving uh, the port, okay. so it's like like, a, like a, a street. You know how we have lanes and you stay to the right or whatever? That's They had these rules in this port and the emo was essentially passing someone who was on the wrong side of the tracks, which was the American tugboat and, Mm. and found themselves on the wrong side of the wrong lane. But they just stayed there. They didn't course correct after that. Or is that not, I I don't know a whole lot about ships. They (laughs) (laughs) They were trying to course correct, but you know, they're big ships. And by the time the Mont Blanc came in, there just wasn't enough time. Okay, I see. So, and the reason why they were over there was because of these tugboats. And so now why did the tugboats, they just weren't aware? They didn't know the rules? The tugboats, exactly. We don't know. We don't know why they were in the wrong side of the tracks. It might have been a a mistake. Whatever it is, the the Canadian government didn't feel like it was uh, as important to prosecute them. Okay. I also think that we need to put up this 
lack of protocol, this concept of a lack of protocol. This is, again, according to the Canadian Encyclopedia online, which you can find for free. Remember when we used to buy encyclopedias? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those were the days. I, I I think I've talked about this. I could. My parents only bought like A and F. <laughs> they had like sales or so. So I knew a lot about alligators. But, and <laughs> according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, despite the Mont Blanc's dangerous cargo, there was no special protocol for the passage of munition ships in the harbor. Other ships, such as the Emo, were not ordered to hold their positions that morning until the Mont Blanc had made safe passage through the port. So there were a few people that were running the port who knew that the Mont Blanc had this explosive cargo. Are they also in charge of like them not having any signage on their boat or flag or, you know, pool noodles around it to like have distance? (laughs) Like who's in charge of that? And now let's pause to hear from our guest expert, Ken Cuthbertson, author of The Halifax Explosion, Canada's Worst Disaster. What was the protocol at the time for the ships carrying the explosive materials? I mean, should should they have had put up a, a sign or a flag? And who was in charge of patrolling these protocols? Yeah, there's an argument about that. They're spo- um, uh, when ships are handling explosives, they're supposed to f- um, put a little, it's called a swallowtail uh, f- fly up at the back of the ship. It's a little flag that's V-shaped and it flutters in the wind and people realize that there is explosives on board. But technically, they only have to have that if they're handling the explosives. In this case, uh, because they're all, the explosives are already on board, the captain didn't want to fly that flag because that would indicate to uh, German submarines, gee, here's a, here's a ship loaded with explosives. It's, it's a prime target. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as regulations, Halifax um, was, as I said, um, under control of of the uh, the Royal Navy, really, uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, and in every other port where they uh, were handling explosives, there were regulations saying that ships laden with explosives could not come into the harbor to anchor. There were no regulations like that in Halifax. They weren't weren't enforcing them. So the the impact was uh, that ships were coming and going, not very often, but ships were coming and going with uh, these explosives on board. Listen to our full interview on Thursday's Aftermath episode. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. Let me just backtrack a little bit. The reason why the uh, emo was on the wrong side is from what I'm gathering here, they were, they left, they had clearance to leave. They were going a little faster than the speed limit to make up for lost time. A tugboat, the SS Clara was on the wrong side. So emo agreed to go to the starboard side, which was the wrong side to pass the ship going the wrong way but they were still going fast. And then they encountered another tugboat that refused to move because they were, I think, angry that they were going so fast and they wanted to, <laughs> to avoid an accident. So Emo went even further to the west, you know, putting it in path with, with the um, Mont Blanc. So I think road rage is also yes. to blame. Absolutely. The, the, just the fact, you know, the toot-toot situation, right? That's straight up road rage. Clayton, maybe you can look up for us what is the nautical version of road rage is there terminology for that Uh, while Clayton is looking that up I let's talk about these anti-submarine nets This, this is what what I love about some of these or not what I love but what is just so interesting about so many of these disasters is that sometimes there's these sliding doors element Um, If it hadn't been for these pesky submarine nets, it's possible that none of this would have happened. So according to Medium, uh, article in Medium, during World War I, as it it had for two centuries, Halifax was playing a critical role in the most recent military crisis. With wartime population at 60,000, its harbor served as an important embarkation point for Allied convoys departing for Europe. Fearing German sabotage or outright reprisal, 
from both civilian and military authorities were in a constant state of vigilance. In the harbor, anti-submarine nets were closed at dark each afternoon and not reopened until the morning, while the armed patrol vessels were always on the lookout for German submarines or other signs of danger. So essentially what happened was that a certain time of night, they would put up these nets and no one could come in and out of the port. So if you got if if you got there like too late, you had to wait overnight to enter the next morning until they took these nets out. So what happens on that day? The emo is is was actually supposed to have left the night before. The emo had been uh, like refueling at the port and. Uh, you know, it, the the cargo was delayed. I, I forget why, but they there was a delay and they couldn't exit that night like they had wanted to. That was another reason why they were going above the speed limit. So they were trying to get out fast because they were already delayed by half a day. Now, the, the Mont Blanc, it got there a little too early. It was supposed to get there a day after, but it got there early. And it couldn't enter because the nets had already been put up. So it had to sit outside of the protected zone. Now, they radioed in and said, hey, we need some kind of like escort. We, kind of, we need something here because we've got a lot of explosives on board. And the, the people at the port did nothing. There's an element uh, of, of this disaster that is gives me a ton of anxiety and it's not the boating part it's the the actual like spectator the rubbernecking that happened yeah it was a, a huge part of of the number of casualties and uh you know the a lot of people lost eyes because they were if you think about it they must have been at their windows you know looking at this accident let's take another break to hear what ken has to say what happens between the time the ships collide and the, the explosion, which occurs at 9.04? Ships collide in about uh, over quarter to uh, quarter to nine. And that's uh, sort of the time when people were still going, kids were going to school, people were still going off to work, at least office workers were. Um, so the men would go off, the, the, the women would be home with the kids. Sorry, it was a sexist era in those days, the women were home with the kids, uh, you know, having breakfast, that kind of thing. The Mont Blanc down in the harbor is ablaze. It's a spectacular place because all these barrels of uh, high-octane fuel on the deck of the ship are exploding and they're bursting into the air. And it, it looks like uh, the 4th of July because there's a fireworks display. And everybody is, um, on, who's on the way to work uh, stops to look uh, out at, at what's going on. People are calling and saying, hey, come look at this. It's a spectacular blaze. And the ship is starting to drift closer, ever closer to Halifax. And there are thousands of people on the shore watching. But then, as you said, at uh, 9.04, suddenly, there's a, a, just a brief moment or two of, of silence. And then suddenly, boom, the uh, Mont Blanc blows up. It just, uh, it's totally obliterated. There's a spectacular fireball that uh, just incinerates everything for half a mile around in all directions. And meanwhile, a concussive uh, blast comes out from the, uh, the explosion and it races up and down the channel. Initially, if you were close to the blast, you would have been killed in the, in the fireball. Uh, if you were far, a little farther away, what happened was it was like a thunderclap. And um, if you saw the, uh, the footage from Lebanon, 
where uh, the explosion happens and then uh, the cameras are watching and then suddenly everything goes berserk and, and, and goes off in all directions. That's what happened in Halifax is that concussive blast hit people, it, it burst eardrums, it knocked the buildings over on top of them, it, it toppled things, it broke windows for miles around. And um, that, that was basically what happened. Um, in, the, in the 20 minutes that uh, the ship was a fire. Of course, the first responders all came down to the uh, the shore as well with their hoses because they wanted to put out any fire that was going to happen on shore. And um, so the first responders, as in uh, uh, in 9-11 and, and various other disasters, they took the brunt of uh, the disaster. Now back to our conversation. I do think that we should put the, the crew of the Mont Blanc up on the board because, in my opinion, they bailed. Like, they ran for their lives. And even if it was true that they were yelling at people to run, um, they could have done more. I mean, they knew that 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 uh, what was inside the ship. They There were, you know, a lot of people who died heroically during this disaster. Um, one of them being uh, this guy by the name of Vincent Coleman. So Vincent Coleman is a train dispatcher, and he learns of the cargo aboard the, the Mont Blanc from a sailor, and he begins to flee. So he starts leaving, right? But then as he's leaving, he remembers that there was a passenger train that was on its way, and it was almost there. So he actually goes back to his... Um, to his post and he sends, he starts sending out these like frantic messages to all of the trains saying, you know, there's an explosion that's about to happen, like stop the trains. And some of these, uh, there's uh, some variations of this message that he sent out. Um, but the one that, uh, according to the maritime museum of the Atlantic, uh, says he sent out was quote, Hold up the train, ammunition ship of fire in harbor, making for Pier 6 and will explode. Guess this will be my last message. Goodbye, boys. (gasps) Oh, my God. So he stays at his post and he waits to get confirmation that people. the longest message in history. He could have survived if he was a reaper. People well, say he... women be talking. This guy going off. <laughs> so he actually, he unfortunately dies in the blast. So Vincent loses his life, but he does end up saving, uh, you know, the, the, the passengers in this train that I think there were about 300 passengers wow. that were about to come in. So very heroic. I mean, I do think Vincent deserves the big oh, clap. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, but that said, these guys, th- that to me makes the Mont Blanc crew more egregious. Right. So right now, I mean, we're winding down on putting names up on the board. Um, I also added the port workers to the list because that seems like there was a big, a big boo-boo on their part. But who else do you have for us, Rebecca? I think we got to put the war up. World War One. You know, the the population of Halifax is surging at this time because of the port and uh because the you know uh, the the royal navy vessels are going in and out um it, for the war effort but the the question is like why why was canada even involved in this war in the first place because we go wherever the united states go because we need the united states so like even for stuff like the middle east still like 
Canadians, we don't have like a huge military, but, you know, we'll send our three guys to like keep an ally, you know, like it's our main, you guys are our main protection. Why was Canada even involved in this war in the first place? It's obviously the military superpower of the world. So if we had a bad relationship, you'd probably just take us over. So like, we really don't have good bargaining chips even still. I mean, it, it's interesting because it, at this time, the from what I've read, they put a lot of the blame actually on more of the British because the British uh, had assumed command of the port during the war. And at, at the time... Uh, from and and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe Canada at the time was still a, a, a domain. They they weren't a colony. They had, uh, but they were a domain, which means that they didn't really have um, full uh, autonomy from Britain. So Britain was kind of like calling the shots, and this is is interesting. They took command of the uh, port during the war and ships such as the Mont Blanc were now permitted through the harbor and into the Bedford Basin. Before that, they were not. Okay. So this was a totally Well, this, this is another thing. Like, I feel like the Narrows themselves are kind of to blame because, like, you think of these huge ships, like, you're putting them on open ocean. Like, they need a vast space. It's like, it's the same way, like, you don't see airplanes crashing into each other that much because there's a lot of sky, you know? Like, I think that if you're in a big boat, you shouldn't be, like, winding down little European streets. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess what would have been, they they should have built a bigger port. Yeah, should have built a bigger (laughs) port. Just knock some down. If anybody plays Animal Crossing, you know, you just, you do terraforming. You just make the water wider and then no explosions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's also like poor Canada, like we, we were ruled ruled by the British and then now we're kind of ruled by the states. Like we just jumped from abusive relationship to abusive relationship. To Sophie's point, is there something like colonization or lack of Canadian autonomy that we want to throw on the board for Halifax? Yeah, yeah. I feel like we get pushed around a lot and we end up doing things that are not in our best interest because we are a small country and we have to kind of pair up with people. Yeah. So uh, what would you call that? Maybe the uh, Canada's colonization or or would you put it on the British, the British colony? They're colonizing. Yeah, maybe. I guess so. Maybe Uh, the British, because they that's the whole reason why Canada was involved in World War One. Right. Because they were under British rule. Circling back to Amanda's question about road rage at sea, which I did a lot of different Googles. (laughs) What I found, the most common thing was river rage or boat rage. And I found a couple examples of there was a, a whaling captain, a Japanese whaling captain who was like basically they were dueling in like, you know, icy waters over whaling territory. And then the other one was there's someplace, I think like St. Clair. I don't know if it's in Michigan or what, but there's like people on their private boats were blocking these large and like commercial ships that were coming in. And some of this stuff was literally caught on video so and it got heated it got heated so i guess it's like (laughs) boat rage or river rage would be an equivalent but there's not like Mm. an official term they're kind of barring the road rage you know right um Mm -hmm. so it's time i think to start narrowing down rebecca are you everyone good is there anything else we want to throw up on the board as a wild card I mean, I think traditionally the Germans were, you know, uh, blamed because they thought because of the rumors that there were they were trying to sabotage and that they actually set off the explosion. But that was all just conspiracy theories. 
Um, they actually were not. You know, I always say capitalism. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. If we're, if we're so just kid, throw it up there. If we're throwing kid in, can I also include incels? <laughs> just to put on the list. Yeah. Oh, we we All should right. try to get in cells. We should try to get in cells in the um in jail at some point. Who is to blame for the Halifax disaster? American Navy or tugboat or end tugboats? Francis Mackey, captain of the Mont Blanc tugboats. Oh, I put tugboats you- on their toys. <laughs> <laughs> They're really to blame. We really don't like them. <laughs> Um, William Hayes, the captain of the Emo, lack of protocol, boat rage, the crew of the Mont Blanc, port workers, World War One, the Narrows, and British colonization. I don't think capitalism is to blame for this. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, capitalism is the thing that is fueling everything wrong in our world <laughs> so that we blame that for everything always well yeah I, just gotta, and I, I gotta single it I out i don't feel like we can rule out incels too like we don't know these men <laughs> okay okay but you know we'll give it the benefit of the doubt just for this time i think right off the bat we can take out tugboats in general wow i don't think they were to blame. i agree I, I think if anything the american navy was more to blame what about how do we feel about the narrows i'll take out the narrows it's okay i it's okay if you want to be skinny you know <laughs> sure it seems like a, it's people's fault for being like let's do a big port here in this narrow area it's not like geography's fault you know yeah but again you know d- capitalism does come into play with that because True. why why did they even need a port you know it's because they need money but can you blame them um, yeah, they're working with what they have. They're working with. We've what all they been have. there. We've all been there. I'm thinking that the the pilot Francis Mackey of the Mont Blanc is way more culpable than William Hayes, the pilot of the of the other ship. They they definitely are at fault for knowing what they had. The fact that no one else knew, except for William, right, was on it, the wrong side. I think those two guys are the main ones that are to blame. Yeah, I, I guess you know lack of protocol kind of goes to the port workers. I feel like they had protocol. It just wasn't great. You know, like I'm sure it's been updated since 1917, but like there was a protocol and then some of it just wasn't followed. Yeah. So maybe we take out lack of protocol that kind of gets wrapped up into the port workers. And I also think maybe at this point we can take out boat rage because there's we're kind of jumping to a conclusion there that there was some ill intent and instead of just an accident or incompetence. I don't know though about boat rage just because somebody was passing somebody else and that doesn't happen unless you're being impatient like I'm with you too I mean what is it about humankind that gets us when once we're behind the wheel of a massive like a uh, ton killing machine killing machine <laughs> that we think it's cool to <laughs> to crash um okay so I, I actually think we can take out the uh war while those boats might have not been there if it hadn't been for the war who knows if if something else would have brought them about i, I I, I just think it's too hard to pin down the war because there were other ships that were going in and out during the war and they didn't. Yeah, crash. then we can probably take out British colonization too. I feel like we could maybe take down the crew of the Mont Blanc because yeah. when, when there's someone whose job is to literally get them through the Narrows safely, I feel like it's sort of hard to 
blame the crew over. Yeah, we're not we're not out here trying to blame Amazon workers for Jeff That's Bezos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got up on the board still are the American Navy. Francis Mackey, who's the pilot of the Mont Blanc, William Hayes, who's the pilot of the Emo, Boat Rage, and Port Workers. American Navy can go, I think. I think so. They egregiously went on the wrong side of, of, of the lane. And it does suck that they're getting away with Maybe we could give them the, the like tiny middle finger, just a little bit of one. Ooh. <laughs> okay, now we could add that instead of the, there's the big slop and then there's the tiny middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, okay. How do we feel about these port workers? They knew that the uh, Mont Blanc had all these explosives, and, and they obviously didn't do a great job, but I don't know if they're, if they're the right ones to send to jail. I know, I don't feel, I don't know why I don't feel like they're to blame. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, they could have, the, uh, the protocol, it, 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 you know, I'm a sucker for a good protocol, and if you don't follow it, what is your problem? I think we can take William Hayes off. Yeah, me too. Because he didn't, you know, he didn't really realize what he was getting himself into. I mean, he, he made a few wrong, mm-hmm. wrong moves. He, he said he was going to be like a fender bender. It's not like he was trying to kill anybody. Even though the pilot did try to, he was the one who was sending signals. He, but, but you know what? He could have been like, you know, we're not going to go into this port unless you give us some backup or you yes he could have made that call francis mackey's sole reason for being on the ship is to to ensure the safety of the boat so i I agree with i think we're all in agreement that he needs to go to jail and i think the the question is do we want boat rage or port or port authority to get the slap and with me, Port Authority, like, goes, you know, that whole protocol thing where it's like they, they got to follow. If, if they have a protocol, they got to follow it. I think you just answered your own question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. <laughs> and look, ra- the boat rage isn't helping, but I think I, I, we're calling it. Yeah, yeah. Port Authority, you're getting the big slap. Francis Mackey, you're going to the alarmist jail. And Sophie, did you want to give someone a little middle finger? I'm going to give World War One the little middle finger just, you know, for in general. Oh, the Americans got away with it this time. I mean, <laughs> trying to preserve once again, preserve diplomatic relations with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you, Sophie, for uh, helping us get down to the bottom of who's to blame for the Halifax disaster. My pleasure. After the explosion, Halifax residents buried their dead, cared for the wounded, and began to rebuild their city. Despite the absolute destruction and the magnitude of relief operations, transatlantic naval convoys had resumed within a week. It took generations for the disaster to be commemorated. After the one-year anniversary, the city didn't hold another official public memorial until the 50th anniversary in 1967. Church services were observed, and small ceremonies were organized, but Halifax's collective psyche was not yet ready to publicly recall the calamitous blast that claimed so many lives. Internationally, the incident influenced the adoption of stricter maritime laws regarding cargo identification and harbor traffic control. 
Most Haligonians remember the generosity of the state of Massachusetts, which donated $750,000 in money and goods and in volunteer assistance through the Massachusetts Halifax Relief Committee. Nova Scotia sends a Christmas tree to the city of Boston each year in gratitude. Charges were brought against the pilot, Francis Mackey, and the captain of the Mont Blanc, but the Supreme Court acquitted them on all counts. No one has officially been blamed for this disaster. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be covering the eruption of mount vesuvius Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.